the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Gideon begins to act, casting down the altar to Baal and replacing it with an altar to God. Not surprisingly, his town doesn't react well to this. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 6, verse 25. The title of the message is, Never Tell Me the Odds. Judges chapter 6. Judges 6. We were introduced to Gideon last Sunday with all of his uh, challenges to the Lord. And then, of course, at the end, God does the miracle. He consumes the offering and disappears and Gideon's thinking, oh man, I've seen the Lord, I'm a dead man. And of course the Lord encourages him and says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. I've got work for you to do. And so Gideon builds the Lord an altar and begins this journey now of faith. Gideon had told the Lord that he couldn't influence his own family, let alone his entire nation. And so God's going to start there. God's first instructions to his reluctant hero are to lead his family first. Everything else will follow after that. And it shows us that when God calls us to do something, that doesn't mean I'm going to do that exact thing immediately. I have people sometimes will come and say, God's put it on my heart to go, go plant a church past Will. And I'm like, okay, you've got a lot to learn until you can get there, though. And many times we get a vision in our mind of what God wants us to do. And it doesn't mean it's incorrect, but there's often a lot of preparation. In fact, almost all of those that God called in the Bible, went through a lengthy period of preparation where faith was built and faithfulness was forged. For example, when we start bringing somebody into leadership, we put them through a lot of tests and we start trying them out with small things or we try them out with an area we know will stretch them. Pastor Chuck, when he would bring someone on staff, he would give them bottom of the barrel pay because you wanted to see, are they really committed to this? They really believe God's called them to it. And we want to see if they'll trust the Lord to provide for their needs. Seldom, you know, when God calls you to do something, does he just provide for you to stay at home full time and then just go around and pass out tracks all day? I'm not saying God can't do that, but there's seldom the Lord does that. A lot of times he has you stepped incrementally as he's teaching you faithfulness and you're learning to have faith, to trust him. And why is it that God does this with Gideon here? Well, because what God was going to ask Gideon to actually do, Gideon knows that he's going to call to lead the nation against the Midianites. He doesn't know how yet. And what God was going to ask Gideon to do would require a very tested faith, a faithfulness that looked at the Lord instead of at the odds. So we're going to pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 6. 
This is right after Gideon builds that altar. And it says, verse 25, It came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord your God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which you have cut down. So it's interesting, God, his first instructions to Gideon is he says, I want you to destroy your father's idols. So go smash your dad's big screen TV, right? And then go and chop down his man cave and use the wood to burn an offering on it, you know? Pretty much. Your first mission, should you choose to accept it, Gideon, is to demolish. That's what the word throw down means, to demolish the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the grove that's right next to it. Now, Baal is the lord of the Canaanite religion, the Canaanite pantheon. Uh, He was seen in the thunderstorms. He was kind of like a Zeus figure. He was the one who brought fertility through those storms to the land. The word there cut down the grove that's right next to it. So apparently there was this altar to Baal, and then right next to it was this, what is called an Asherah pole. That's what the word grove refers to here. An Asherah pole is a phallic symbol that represents the Canaanite goddess of fertility and the mother of Baal, Ashtaroth. She is known as Lady Asherah of the Sea, Queen of the Universe, um, a title that unfortunately is still in use today by other groups who will remain unnamed. Mother and son were very often worshipped side by side, Asherah and Baal. These are the two deities that you're going to most frequently find as problems in Israel. you also find Molech will be a problem as well. But these are the two primary Canaanite deities that Israel's going to be in trouble with. Now, again, the, the sad part about this is that these pagan things belong to Gideon's dad. You know, things are bad in Israel, but this shows that they still haven't repented, including, I mean, Gideon. He hasn't torn it down before this point in time. So the nation is still involved in its idolatry. And you know what? That's where leadership begins. This is where answering God's call begins, with personal repentance. When someone says to me, and says, I think God's called me to do something great for God. And I say, okay, well, that's wonderful. But you need to get your own life out of being a train wreck first. Can't lead anybody where you haven't been. Someone said that leadership as a Christian is just one beggar showing another beggar where he got food. It's not about being more talented than someone else. It's not even about having more gifts or or more chutzpah than anybody else. You know, it's not about being able to be a leader and command a crowd or anything like that has nothing to do with it. I've watched guys come that are insanely gifted and they, man, they come in and it's like just people flock to them. But when there's no character, it's not just that they fall, it's that they take other people out with them. And so that's not, That's not what God desires when he calls us is to all of a sudden be thrust into the limelight. He wants us to begin to take our own spiritual life seriously, our own relationship with him seriously, and to deal with the things in our own hearts and lives that don't belong. And repentance isn't just about doing away with the bad. It's replacing the wrong with the right. And that's why he tells them also to get the bull. So not just tear this thing down, but then build an altar, verse 26, build an altar unto the Lord your God upon the top of this rock. The word their rock refers to the refuge or the stronghold. So they had been on some rocky surface hiding from the Midianites in this stronghold that was fairly safe. Wherever this was, we don't know, but this is where Gideon's people had found safety. 
He says, I want you to build an altar there upon the top of that, that fortress, that refuge that you're in. And then he says, in the ordered place, which means according to the proper instructions and the proper arrangement. You see, whenever Israel made an altar to the Lord, it had to be made from simple stones. It was not to be ornate like the pagan altars. It's not to be with all decorations and all sorts of things like that. Now, it's different with a temple. People get confused. Like, for example, when we finish this stage, and I mean, it looks really nice. It's really beautiful. Eventually, we're going to get really nice carpet, nice chairs, and paint the lobby. And, and I mean, we're going to make it look nice. People get confused. They're going, Pastor, well, we're not supposed to make any altar, you know, touch the altar with an implement or with a tool. That was for someone who was just doing that in their own life. That was not for the temple. The temple was incredibly beautiful. And in fact, it says that the garments that the priest wore were for holiness and for beauty. If we take that view, we never did anything around here and just left the place a dump. I guarantee you, we're going to be putting a stumbling block in from somebody here in the gospel. And that is not our job. Well, if you're not here for Jesus, then tough. That's not the point. I've always said, if I offend somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I have no apologies to make. If I offend somebody with the teaching of the scripture, then I, I don't know what else to tell you. But if we offend people because it doesn't look like we care for our building or because we're not being kind to one another, you know, or people don't put an effort to practice and to not be a distraction when they serve, or we just put anybody in, in a position of leadership over the kids and it's not safe and it's not clean, that's a bad reason to offend somebody. That's a bad reason to run somebody off that may never hear the gospel or may not grow in the Lord. So, you know, we want to make things beautiful around here. We want to make things look nice. But when Israel, as individuals, when they were going to build an altar, just worship the Lord, they weren't allowed to do anything ornate. It was to be simple, just stones, nothing like the pagan altars. No tool was to be used so that all the focus would be on the unseen, the Lord, rather than the seen idol. See, the thing when you would come to the temple and you would come to the uh, tabernacle and you'd worship, you wouldn't see half that stuff. You weren't allowed to go inside and see half that stuff that was there for beauty. The only time you might see it was when the tabernacle was being torn down and then set back up. The focus was to be on the unseen Lord. And so not the idol and all the trappings that came with it. We can very easily make our church experience like that, can't we? You know, where it's all about the flash and the boom and everything's exciting and all the feelings and emotions that are brought up. Music can be a, a, a wonderful way to worship the Lord, but it can also be an amazing tool of manipulation. And that's not our goal. We're here to worship the unseen Lord. Now, when God calls a leader, he never calls them to do unbiblical things. I've heard people, God told me it was okay to leave my wife and to go be a missionary over in some country because she won't come with me. He would never do that because God doesn't contradict his word, which says that you're to be faithful to that covenant until death. So God would never call you to do something that's unbiblical. The ends, when it concerns leadership or ministry or a call of God, the ends never justify the means. God always leads in accordance with his word. Now, being the youngest in the family, this was a huge risk for Gideon. Would they listen to him? What he's doing is right, but would they listen to him? Would they follow his lead? He wasn't so sure. So he decides to do it in secret at nighttime. Look at verse 27. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Gideon's family may have had low status, but they weren't nobodies. He had 10 servants he could go grab to help him out with this. And it says that 
Then Gideon took the 10 men of his servants, did as the Lord said to him, because he feared not just his father's household, doesn't mean just his siblings. It means his cousins. It means any of the family that was there in that refuge. So it's more than just a few people. In addition to that, it says, and the men of the city. So whoever else had taken refuge in this place with him, even though Gideon's father's kind of in charge of this area, there's a lot of people there that are going to be upset. So he does it at night when no one could see. Now, not exactly the biggest splash for our hero here, but he was obedient. And obedience is a great start, even if it's a fear-filled one. It's a great start, even if it's a fear-filled one. It's interesting, we read that part in Luke. It's in all the Gospels, but where Jesus mentions in Luke 17, 6, he says, if you had the faith as grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. We read about that and like, oh, I need to have, if I just had the faith of a mustard seed, you know, I need to, I need to have more faith. I mean, it doesn't mean to be a lot, but I need to have more faith. That's not the point of that. Great faith isn't grunting up the ability to do something crazy. Because I mean, if somebody said, God told me to take this tree and just with the words of my mouth to pluck it up by its root and it's going to throw itself like a missile, like an ICBM into the sea. And you know, okay, that sounds crazy. I don't know why God would ask you to do that, but he made a donkey speak, so I guess you can do anything. But great faith isn't mustering the ability or grunting up the ability to do something insane. Great faith is simply obedience. And you know what? A faith that's as small as a mustard seed can do that. The point that Jesus is making is if God tells you to tell the tree to pick it up and launch itself into the sea, then it's going to happen. So you just need to be obedient to the Lord and trust him. That's what faith is. And that's what separates the faithful from the faithless. I can say, I believe in the Lord. I can dance around, lift my hands up in the air. But if I'm not obedient to the Lord, then I don't trust him. I don't have great faith. You know, in Revelation 3.8, I love the text there because Jesus praises this church from Philadelphia. He says, I know your works and behold, I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? I mean, you know, I've said before you an open door and nobody could shut it. I mean, you got to go for it, man. But he explains why. For you have a little strength and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He doesn't say because they're these great burly people, you know, that just, oh man, mighty men of faith and they just do anything right. And they're a wonderful calling and anointing and talent and bam, I'm going to set before them an open door. No, they have a little strength because they had not denied his name and they had kept his word. That's where it comes from. I've seen people come and go who had great talent, who maybe even had a great anointing from God. But when they're disobedient, all I've watched is destruction in their wake. So do you and I trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord to do what he says, even though it may be with trembling sometimes? If you can do that, that's good enough to be a hero. (laughs) It's good enough to be a hero. Well, morning comes, verse 28. And one of the men of the city arose early in the morning. Behold, surprise! There's bacon on the... No, no bacon, they're Jewish. There's beef on the altar of Baal. Behold, the altar of Baal was cast down. It was thrashed. And the grove was cut down by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who has done this thing? What's their reaction? 
Man, whoever did that, right on. That's what we've been needing to do. What have we been doing worshiping this idol? Nope. He said, who has done this thing? We worked so hard to make that beautiful altar and that amazing pole. Who destroyed it? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, well, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Gideon tried to keep it a secret, but complete secrecy is impossible when you take 10 other people with you. So the truth eventually came out. Verse 30. And so then the men of the city said unto Joash, his father, bring out your son that he may die because he has cast down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the grove that was next to it. Now, hasn't enough suffering come to Israel because of these idols? <laughs> I mean, they're in a bad mess, barely surviving right now because of the Midianites and God's discipline. So think about this just for a minute. They're living in misery, struggling to survive because of their idolatry. But now they're ready to kill one of, not the enemy, but one of their own because he helped topple their idols? Listen, upside-down cultures are not something that's just the day we live in. <laughs> this has happened many times in the past, happened in other cultures throughout many times in history, all right? This is about as upside-down as it can get. This is about as wrong as a statement that can be made, but that's how it was. So what will Gideon's father do? Well, verse 31, we'll see the results are surprisingly good. Gideon might be leadership material after all. And Joash said unto all that stood by him, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death. And when it's the morning, if he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one has cast down his altar. I love it here. His dad says, will you plead for Baal? Are you going to fight for Baal? I mean, is that who we serve now? Is that what we're about? Are you going to save? You're going to rescue? You're going to rescue the God of thunder. You're going to rescue him from my youngest kid? That's what you're going to do here? The least important in my family? My family's not a very important family, as Gideon said. He brings a point. He says, he that will plead for him. You want to fight for him? You want to come try to put my son to death? Then let him be put to death, which is the penalty for murder, which is what it would be if they tried to kill Gideon for his actions. Gideon had done nothing wrong. And then he adds a new clause. It reads in the King James, it's let him be put to death while it's yet morning. That's not what it says. It's let him be put to death, semicolon, and when it is morning, if he be a God, referring to Baal, let him plead for himself because one has cast down his altar. Joash says here, he says, if Baal is so special, let's give him 24 hours to rescue himself by dealing with my son. Restore his altar. Which is something, of course, that won't happen because Baal isn't real. Joash is basically saying, if Baal doesn't do anything to Gideon, what makes any of you think you have the right to? Good logic. Which is why, I know I mentioned earlier today why people get angry at Christians. But that's why it's absurd for anyone to be angry at Christians. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you get angry at the things Christians say and do, well, if everything you believe in is true, everything you're trying to accomplish is true, and we're so wrong, then just keep doing what you're doing and the goodness of man will win out, right? We'll just fade away while the rest of mankind moves on. But see, the truth is they aren't right. Man isn't good. And goodness won't prevail on its own. So they get angry when their gods are challenged. 
And since their gods aren't real and they can't do anything to defend themselves, they must do something to stop anyone in their path. People may decry Christianity and say we're closed-minded or whatever because they're claiming to defend freedom or equality. But all they're defending is their own ideas of truth. That's all they're doing. They're just defending the same thing we're saying we believe in. It's just we're saying we're making a stand for the truth. And they're going, well, we're making our stand for the truth, but our truth is better than yours. And what happens when someone says my truth is better than yours? I'm going to make you believe my truth. Ah, oh, see, now you've not become someone who believes something or someone who has an idea. Now you've become a tyrant. Now you've become a tyrant. Jesus didn't call us to be tyrants. We're not here to make people believe anything. But it's fascinating to see that those who disagree either want to make us go away or make us change. I've gotten sidetracked here, so back to our text. Gideon's actions, they have a big impact on his dad. They bring his dad back to his senses. We're going to worship there and kill my son over, over, no, man, what he did was right, and we need to get right with God. Jehovah's the living God, and Baal is make-believe. And maybe they're not done with him, but I am. And the impact on Joash was so big that he actually changed his son's name. Look at verse 32. Therefore, on that day, he called him, Gideon, Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has thrown down his altar. The phrase Jerob Baal means let Baal fight against him. And when the morning rose and Gideon was fine, this became now not just let Baal fight against him, but it became a title of honor. It came to mean the man who fought Baal and won. It's like calling Gideon the the God killer or the idol killer. It's a pretty cool name, don't you think? And thus he becomes the leader of his refuge here. Now, this is just a small step. Gideon is not leading the nation yet. He's not even leading his own tribe yet. But it's a start. And every leader has to start by being faithful somewhere before they can become the idol killer. (laughs) You have to start by being faithful somewhere. Now, I would ask you then, what has God called you to be faithful with? Well, one clear answer is your family. It's right in front of you. Another answer is your work environment. It's right in front of you already. Your sphere of influence, whatever that may be, are you being faithful there? That's where it starts. When I look for leaders, if I'm going to disciple somebody or invite somebody to a leadership class or something like that and just see what the Lord might do, I never look for talented people. I stopped doing that a long time ago. When I first started pastoring a church, you know, you start waiting as people come in, you get to know them, you think, ooh, are they going to be my worship leader? Are they going to be the youth pastor? Are they going to be this? Are they going to be that? And you start thinking all these things. And then over time, I would see people come in, they might have a talent for something, I'd start investing into them, and then they just melt. They'd melt down, and then they'd melt other people down with them, and you, and you just go, I don't understand why that didn't work. Maybe because you didn't know their character before you started giving them responsibilities. Now, I look and say, what does his wife look at him like when he's talking? Does she respect him? Does she have an admiration for him? Does she believe in him? Or does she think, yeah, there's my turkey husband talking again? We all think that about our spouses at some time, but generally speaking, do they believe in them? I look there. I look at their kids. Do they... Their kids adore, adore them, you know? Do they look up to them? That, that's what I look for. Those are the first things. 
How do they conduct themselves with their family? How do they conduct themselves with just being around people here? I start listening for not when I'm looking and seeing them have a talent or maybe a gifting or anointing from God. I start listening to what other people are saying about them. People go, oh man, it was so cool. You know, we were out, you know, uh, at lunch and then so-and-so just started sharing their faith. And it was so cool because, man, I thought, oh man, I knew I, that's what we needed to do. We needed to share with our server, but, but they're the one that did it. And, you know, it encouraged me and challenged me. And I think, oh, okay. Keep my eye on that. Start with what's right in front of you. We also don't follow the Lord based on whether we're qualified or we're worthy. We make decisions based on God's word because we love him. And we want to obey what he says. And we do what he says, not because we're worthy, but because, well, he's sovereign. And if he calls me, he can equip me. Amen? Lord, whatever you called us to, you equip us to do it, to do it well in a way that pleases you. And so that's our desire, Lord. We want to be those who just are obedient because we love you and we want to follow you. We're obedient to whatever it is that you call us to do. So Lord, whether it's to be the idol killer like Gideon, or whether it's to be the best dad my kids could ever have, the best mom my kids could ever have, Lord, we want to be faithful and obedient to that because we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for calling us. We give ourselves to you to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.